0: you're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Hebrews chapter 11, let's look, if you will, at verse number 1 and uh, thankful and grateful for what God did last weekend in our church and uh, your participation in that my heart is full today as i consider not just what god has done but what he is doing and what he will do as uh, we faithfully align with him hebrews chapter 11 we're starting a new series today and uh, just as a preview at the end of church today after our invitation salad time we're going to be showing a brief video Talking about a special event we have, we're hosting here again this year called Secret Church, uh, a Friday night event. So we'll talk more about that at the end, but excited about this week and all that God has for us uh, in these next days together. Hebrews 11, and let's begin in verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, this faith, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were made of things which do appear. And now verse 4, our key verse for today, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. So we're looking at, over these next few uh, weeks that we have together, looking at Hebrews chapter 11 and different accounts of those in it, at the word epic, the significance of the faithful individual in Hebrews chapter 11. Um, And so we're looking at today the first of these, one, one guy named Abel. And I trust that our study today will be an encouragement. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privileges to gather here today. Um, Lord, I'm just excited to be in your house today and to anticipate this spring season of ministry and family life and even the challenges that we all are navigating and seeing you prove yourself. And Lord, I pray as we enter this new series together over these next number of weeks that you would convince us anew and afresh that one with God is a majority in the sense that you can move heaven and earth to accomplish your will through one heart, one life that's surrendered to you. Uh, One heart willing to believe in you and to obey you. And I pray, Father, we would lose the desire to be a part of a movement and a throng and a mob and to be content just walking with you, trusting you, and believing that that matters through the lens of eternity. Convince us of that today. Convince us of that through each of these examples that we will see over these next week. Bless this study and this series. To your glory we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, as we begin today, um, I don't know if you notice, but sometimes uh, one of the ways that we prop up our own identity, um, as it relates to who we are, or who we feel we're not, is we buy other people's names, and by that I mean, for example, we buy certain um, uh, products that would have the name of some designer, uh, Gucci, for example. I just, just out of curiosity, this morning, since that's not really my wheelhouse handbags and purses and things. Some of you ladies, I saw you rolling in with your couple of Gucci bags today. <laughs> yeah, right, maybe a few of you do. But they're, on average, a, a Gucci purse, purse, at least the ones I was looking at, are north of four grand, the ones that you know are the ideal ones. $4,000 for something you're gonna carry your empty wallet in, okay? <laughs> um, and to each their own. I'd rather have the four grand and have no, nothing to carry it in, okay? I'm okay with that. Um, In my world, it would be, I have two teenage sons, and this was me as well. When I was a teenager, it was Jordans, buying uh, basketball shoes. Remember when the first Jordans came out? And, I mean, just, you know, they weren't really that expensive compared to now standards, but um, buying Jordans. And in my house, I've invested in uh, Kevin Durant's, uh, LeBron's. That makes me cringe, just admitting that to you. Um, Kyrie, Kyrie. Uh, Kyrie's. I mean, we've got, and and I'm funding these guys, and my boys think they're better basketball players because of the the name on the sneaker, maybe. Isn't it funny how we try to prop ourselves up? It's something different for you. Um, It it might be a certain tool. uh, It might be a certain caliber or name that's associated with something that uh, you feel like increases your profile, And I think as it relates to our relationship with God, for some reason, us and God just isn't enough, at least emotionally sometimes. And I'm grateful that God gives to us Hebrews chapter 11 to counter that, uh, especially as it relates to our first study um, this morning. And may just say as we begin, far too often we buy the lie that our individual lives and decisions really don't matter when nothing, according to Hebrews 11, as well as the landscape of all of Scripture uh, nothing could be further from the truth. One person, one gal or guy surrendered to the Lord uh, is a significant thing in God's eyes. And so we're going to look at this chapter together, he- Hebrews chapter 11 through really uh, the transition into summer um, and look at different men and women of the Old Testament specifically who had 2020 spiritual vision when everyone else for the most part around them did not and chose to live lives of faithfulness Uh, when those around them, uh, maybe we're not as focused upon that. So the question today is this, in a day where many depend upon what they or other people are able to do, A-B-L-E, how do we, in contrast, trust in a God with epic faith like Abel A-B-E-L, that we see in the text this morning? Let's talk about today two uh, glorious gifts that we can trust God in as we're personally responsible in our walk with him. Two gifts that we see given to Abel that are also offered to us. Number one, for a few minutes, first of all, let's talk about the idea of an excelling sacrifice. We see God giving to Abel this uh, memorial of an excelling sacrifice. His sacrifice at the beginning of verse four was more excellent. Have you ever been in a situation with, usually this is family or a close friend, where you just start laughing, um, and as you're laughing, like, it just escalates as you go. It goes from, like, a little just kind of smirk, snicker, to by the end, you know, where you're, like, throwing in an extra something that makes it even funnier, and then the other person says, "Yeah," you know, and and by the end, literally, you're not sure if you're going to be able to breathe. That's how bad it's getting. Have you ever been there? It just it just escalates there's no better feeling than that with a friend or family is there like i love to be around people who are willing to be that open with each other literally like some of us we cry you know we talk about crying ugly some of us laugh in ugly ways okay snorting and and you know beating on stuff and just man you got me there and that idea would be there's there's nothing better than that as it relates to family or friends Can I tell you today, many of us, I think if we're not careful, the things that we sacrifice for God, as the years go by, if we're not careful, we let these voices in our head and heart convince us it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, I remember when I got into ministry, I remember when we started our family, I remember different phases where I felt like God had called me to do something. And I knew with that, there were going to be sacrifices that were made. But I notice as I'm aging, as I'm moving through life, that sometimes I I can convince myself or others can convince me that sacrificing the time to walk with God every morning doesn't matter as much as it actually does, right? Investing in my marriage and in my sons and investing in the local church. Can I just encourage you today, those who walk by faith believe that sacrifices to God are more excellent than sacrificing for anything or anyone else. Uh, And so I hope that today through this study God will convince you anew and afresh it's worth it to sacrifice in a way that pleases and honors the Lord. Now it's interesting that we see the contrast. We're going to talk about both of these characters. Cain is mentioned as well in verse 4. Most of the names mentioned in Hebrews 11 are examples of what we should be and do. Cain's name is just briefly mentioned, but he's an example of what we should not be. And we see uh, Cain here is it is really, I think, a picture of those who are cursed instead of those who are blessed. Isn't it interesting that he was a tiller of the ground before the curse really had reached its full impact? He was he was the one on the brunt end of, by the sweat of your brow and the weeds and all the resistance, he was the one navigating uh, that curse. Abel, in contrast, seems to be the one still carrying the dominion, man's to have dominion over uh, the fowl of the air, and, the, and we see here the flock of the sheep. And so we see this contrast between two choices or ways of living and then the sacrifice that follows out of that. So let's talk about these two different options. Are we going to have the excellent sacrifice or are we going to have the inferior sacrifice? Number one, jot this down be one who trusts in divine grace. So let's talk about Abel for a moment and then we'll talk about Cain as well. Be one. Who trust in divine grace? where do we see his grace in verse four? Go back to verse four. It says, By faith, Abel, notice this, offered. By faith, Abel offered. Number one, God's grace is a motivating grace. His grace motivates us to offer, to offer ourselves, to offer what he has given back to him. Um, What can we give to God that He has not already given to us, right? Everything we have is His. It's because of His grace. And so as I sacrifice for Him, the reminder is that I'm motivated by the God who has given, and now I want to sacrifice my own life, my own uh, priorities for His instead. Back in chapter 10 of Hebrews, in verse 38, it says at the beginning of the verse, "Now the just shall live by faith." And so... Abel here had by faith received the grace of God. He's now alive in Christ. He's alive in God's grace. And so out of that, he now offers sacrifice to this God of grace. One author said this, it was not the personal excellence of Abel that God looked at in counting him righteous, but the excellence of the sacrifice that he brought and his faith in it, the lamb. Ultimately, the lamb uh, which is... Jesus Christ. And I love to see those foreshadowings of different elements of theology. Jesus Christ is described as what which takes away the sin of the world? The Lamb of God. Uh, And so here Abel is trusting, maybe not fully understanding all of what his sacrifice represented, but doing what God had instructed. He was motivated by grace. One of my concerns in our day that I think diminishes our significance, our significant walk with the Lord is grace has been relegated to license. Well, I have the grace of God, and so whatever I do doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want. There's a permissiveness to the grace of God. And can I encourage you, God gives you His grace to motivate you in a specific way. Grace is not for you to do your thing, and grace is not for me to do my thing. God's grace is to motivate me to live my life for Him. And here will be the thought today. God's grace says you do matter. God's grace says your life is epic. He loved you. He died for you. He put his spirit in you. He gave you the word of God. You matter. The grace of God should move us deeply today. Instead of just a cursory look at it, may it compel us to live for the Lord. So by faith, Abel offered it, moved him. Notice where his offering was directed. By faith, Abel offered unto God. Number two, it is a directing grace. So it's a motivating grace. Number two, it directs us. Uh, And so Abel followed the instruction of God. Um, Go back to Genesis 4, and you may want to hold your place between Genesis 4 and Hebrews 11 because we have just one verse of Abel in the New Testament. We have a couple of more in Genesis chapter 4. Let's go there and look, if you will, at verse 4. How did Abel... Uh, how did he follow God's directions? Well, we see it mentioned in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 4. So Adam knows Eve, his wife. She has Cain, then she has Abel. We'll come back to verse 3 in a moment. And Abel, he also brought of the first things of of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had, notice, the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Now, we don't know this for sure, but it's likely based upon that text, that Cain and Abel somewhere got instruction on what God was going to have respect for and what he would not have respect for. And so there had to have been, prior to verse 4, some directive, some instruction from God about what was an appropriate sacrifice and what was not. And obviously we believe that without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sin, and so it, it couldn't have been vegetables or fruit as Cain would have likely uh, presented, Uh, we don't know the specific varieties, it had to be something that the blood was shed. And so Abel believed this divine decree, he then offered to God exactly what God had instructed him. And obviously that points ahead to the substitutionary death of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. So God gives us his grace not to free us to do our thing, but to follow his instructions. Again, a life surrendered to God is of epic significance. All you and I have to do to matter, to make a difference, is to find out what God has directed us to do, and then walk ye in it. Obey His word, follow His will. Don't let the voice in your head convince you otherwise. Don't let others around you convince you it doesn't matter. It's interesting to me. I think maybe they're in motion right now, but there was a story this week of the first private um, spacecraft going to the International Space Station and docking there. Um, and uh, they were talking about some of the details of that. Uh, the one manning the craft was a man, is a man named Michael Lopez-Alegria. Uh, he had previously been a NASA astronaut. He flew uh, the uh, flight. Also on board were Mark Pathy, Larry Connor, and uh, Iotin Stibb, each who paid... Listen. 55 million dollars to be on this flight. What's interesting is here we have now private aircraft going from earth to the, to the international space station and the problem they were having they've been in a holding pattern now for I think almost a week hopefully today they were hoping to be free of this they couldn't come back till the weather cleared on earth. I find that ironic. So men can move around millions and take spacecraft from, you know, from earth to the international space station but they have to wait on God to give them clear weather. Isn't that ironic? We we think we can do something on our own. And I just want to encourage you, our life is a must-show-up proposition of God. He has to show up or this doesn't work. Are we following His directive as given in His Word and applied by His Spirit? And so this sacrifice for God, this thing we do for God is directed by God. It is therefore significant in His sight. And so we make sacrifices not for acceptance, but from a place of acceptance. We are accepted, and what we offer to God is excellent because it is through the name and the person of Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you a question before we move on. Where are you claiming to trust in divine grace? You would say, all of my relationship with God is by grace, and yet in your life, and maybe in mine as well, there is there's personal motivation that is less than motivation by grace, and it's less than directed by grace. Are you guided by grace? Are you compelled by grace today? Uh, If you want to matter, if you want to make a difference, God requires that we uh, do so. I love the text. We talked about it today in our discipleship group, 1 Corinthians 15, which was a part of our weekly reading this past week. And in verse 9, Paul says, "...for I am the least of the apostles." that I'm not me to be called an apostle because I persecute the church of God. And then these verses, or this verse, verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was, it, which was in me. The idea would be we've been given God's grace. I don't want it to be in vain. I want to reach my full grace-infused and empowered potential, don't you? So we have to be motivated by grace and directed by grace. Abel, all he did is he let the grace of God move him or motivate him, and then it called the shots, not his own intentions. All right, number two. So that's the first option. We can be of the category of person who is trusting in divine grace. Or number two, be one who trusts not in human works. So unlike Abel, his brother Cain, be one who trusts not in human works. I'm a, I, to a fault at times, I was raised with a work ethic. Like to me, vacation after a few days, I'm looking for something to fix or something to do. Um, it's exhausting to be sometimes in a break. That's just how I'm wired. I just, I have to do something. That's just uh, how I'm wired. And sometimes I think if I'm not careful, I allow my own efforts to be. Uh, in my eyes, more than they are. And maybe you struggle with that as well. Some of you are just lazy. Some of us workaholics would say. Some of you have discovered how to rest in ways we're still working at. But I saw this picture today. I find this hilarious. So this is in picture form. This is the logic of the world right here. That somehow as I go down the road at 55 or 75, that that little belt's going to hold all that dirt on the back of that flatbed truck Do you ever feel like that, that what you do as life picks up speed and the downward inertia of everything, that everything you work for, it's amazing to me. The brand new pickup truck, the pristine corner office, we go through all kinds of things that we work our whole lives for, and then it just, it's all vanity. It's all vanity. And I'm just telling you today, if you don't do the works of God, your life doesn't matter to do his work, to do it his way. And even if we are in the the corner cubicle or we uh, have the truck we're using for work, but using it for something more than just the temporal priorities, be one who trusts not in human works. That's how to live an epic or significant life. And so we have to choose to disassociate from certain things, to not trust in man's works. The end of man's works is vanity. It's all gone. It just, it dissipates oh so quickly. Heidi, the other night, is reading a book right now, and she was just sharing a quote with me about how often we're distracted. And here was the statement. I had to give her credit for this, okay? If I just said I was reading a book, she she would probably during the service give me a hard time. But anyway, here was the statement. What distracts us will begin to define us. What distracts us will begin to define us. And I think, brethren, let me love on you for a minute, many of us, we are distracted by good things and good works that are not God's works. We're trusting in them, maybe not for salvation, but it's where we get our sense of identity and purpose and mission, do the works of God, do works His way right, notice two things. Go back to Hebrews 11. Hold your place there in Genesis 4. We'll be back there in just a moment. Notice what it says now about Abel's faith that moved him and directed him to offer to God. Now this description, notice a more excellent sacrifice, notice, than Cain. A more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So if Abel's sacrifice is excellent, what does that make Cain's sacrifice. Jot this down first, inferior works. So if Abel's sacrifice was more excellent, was greater, then what does that make Cain's in relation to Abel's? His were inferior. Human works or man works to earn God's favor or to make ourselves feel significant are actually inferior works. The word excellent that's found there in verse 4 has this idea, greater in quality, superior, or more excellent. So here we have Abel's sacrifice is is greater in quality, it is superior, it is excellent. Therefore, Cain's sacrifice, trusting in man's works, is inferior on all three of those fronts. Convicting thought today as I pondered this, the works of God's grace are always greater than our works. Isn't that right? So the works of God's grace are always greater than our works. That work may still be done through us. God may use us to accomplish the work of His grace, but the works of God's grace are always greater than our works. Listen to this. Hence why our pride resents the comparison. We we hate that we can't work our way to heaven oftentimes, especially the unsaved. We as believers have come to terms with that. We hate that what I do in my flesh will never measure up to what God can do through me. And those who are making an impact, a dent, if you will, in eternity are those who believe that God's works and the works of his grace are always greater uh, than our own. Abel's sacrifice was not more excellent just because of who he was or how he packaged it. It was because he had followed God's instruction. He had let God's grace lead him in what he offered to the Lord. And then you notice not only is it a more excellent sacrifice, notice it's compared. It says a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. I think inferred in this, number two, are not only inferior works, but mainstream works. Mainstream, by that I mean they're more accepted, and this is what everybody does. And Cain likely offered what was a mainstream work versus the the, 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 the crazy one, the unique one, as we see Abel so modeling. All right, go back to Genesis 4, and let's talk about this sacrifice on Cain's part and how it compares and doesn't stack up to that of Abel's. Look, if you will, in Genesis 4 and verse 3. And this is an interesting phrase found at the beginning of verse 3. And in the process of time... It came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Now, that phrase, the process of time, seems to indicate that there was a period of time between when the directive was given of how to offer a sacrifice and when now we find this account given in Genesis 4, which seems to indicate there's been some time that's passed. The world population has expanded. Likely also the philosophy of man had gained some traction. And so more people, more philosophy, Cain did likely what was more socially acceptable. He did that which was mainstream versus that which was radical or unique as his brother did. And so Cain had heard from God. He heard exactly what God wanted and he went with what was broadly accepted. Likely is the inference there uh, in those verses. Um worldliness when's the last time you've heard a message on worldliness some of you a little bit ahead of me used to hear sermons like that all the time what is worldliness what does that mean what comes to your mind when you hear that Um, best definition I've heard by David Wells is this worldliness is what any particular culture does to make sin seem normal and righteousness to seem strange that's worldliness uh, and brethren, we have to fight that. We have to fight the tendency to work the way the world works and to do what everybody else does. Uh, we have to guard against that. In fact, I get nervous when I hear someone validating their position with the following foundation. This is what most people do. This is what everybody does. I can think of very few exceptions to this statement. We're probably never, if not almost never, in good company when that's our motivation, right? Right? <laughs> This is what everybody believes. This is what everybody does. And to live a life of significance means we have to be willing to separate from what is often mainstream or, quote unquote "acceptable." Matthew 7:13 reminds us, "Enter ye in the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go therein. Because straight is the gate and narrows the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So may we be very careful. And how we live our lives, not just pull the crowd and what's everybody doing and let's try to align with that. Um, We have to be willing to stand on principle even when it goes against that sentiment. So you and I cannot be epic. We cannot make a difference for Christ. We cannot stand for Him faithfully until we stop trying to compensate for or blend in with the world. We must be faithful in a way that God has directed It does make an epic difference whether you choose to trust in yourself and your own works or you trust in God's finished work through Jesus Christ. Um, You're in Genesis 4 and verse uh, 3. Go to verse 12, the end of the verse. So God and him have a little confab. We'll come back to that or conversation. But notice the end of verse 12, it says, God giving this curse to Cain says, a fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. See, to do it Abel's way leads to rest. To do it Cain's way leads to just, I never find rest. I'm always trying to prove myself and validate myself and prop myself up. I've said this and I'll say it again. There's no feeling like doing what God tells me to do. There's an emotional rush that comes after I yield to that. And there's also, listen to me, A security in that. Living a life on principle grounds us. It moors us. It anchors us. You know what? I appreciate your feedback. I'm doing what God's led me to do. I'm open for any time reevaluating that if I'm not where I should be with God. But your opinion, sorry, doesn't matter in relation to that. So God's word gives us rest. Doing our own thing leads to the unrest we see uh, in Cain pastor friend of mine said this the other day. I love this. He said, it's useless to run from your problems. Most of the time, they, the problems, are wearing your shoes, (laughs) right? I am my own worst problem, and me doing what I think and what I feel and what you may think or feel will never lead me in a good direction. May I follow God's will, not settling for trusting in human works. All right, go back to verse 1 in Hebrews uh, 11, would you? Sorry we're flipping back between the two so much, but again, I warned you, keep your place there in both spots. Go back to verse 1 of Hebrews 11. So these verses we led with today, notice it says in verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I've often heard verse 1 said to be, it's a definition of faith, that verse 1 is a formal definition of faith. When in reality, I would submit to you, it's more than that. It's a description of what faith does in our lives. Faith makes, look here, it gives us substance for things that we hope for. It gives us evidence for things that we cannot see uh, yet It fully. it, It grounds us, it directs us, it gives us confidence that what we're trusting in is superior to anything that the world can show us and can substantiate to us? Do you believe that what God has for us is always better than the best this world can offer? Epic kind of people believe that and live in light of that on a daily basis, living in light and through the lens of eternity. One of the things I'm regularly convicted by, and we'll move to our second point today, is how the gods of this world are are served so sacrificially um, whole weekend given to one hour event or a two hour sporting thing or whatever the or hunting or we could go through we could meddle with you ladies besides your gucci's we could talk is that a word i don't know we could talk about all kinds of things but we sacrifice for the gods of this world god deserves a more excellent sacrifice if the gods of this world, who do not actually exist ultimately and have no ultimate impact, if everyone's willing to sacrifice for them, why are we not willing to give a more excellent sacrifice to the God is true and faithful and will deliver on all of his promises? All right, so first of all, we see Abel modeling. with God's help, he gives to Abel and offers to us today an excelling sacrifice. I want to give my life for something that matters, don't you? give your life to God, surrender to his grace. And I assure you, in the long term, you will, you will not forget um, that decision. All right, number two, go if you will now to the end of verse four, here in Hebrews 11, and we see a second gift from God that's offered not just to Abel, but to us, if we're faithful to him. By which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. Number two, notice that Abel was given the gift of an enduring testimony. An enduring testimony. Any of you read or heard of a guy named Ernest Shackleton? Have you heard of this guy and his expedition in the polar regions of our world in days gone by? About a month ago, uh, this is just one picture. Can you read that? Is the lighting good enough? You can see uh, the word endurance. Um, just about a month ago, um, the wreckage of endurance was found in Antarctica 106 years after it went under the ice pack there. And one of the reasons that that is uh, well known in historical circles uh, is that Ernest Shackleton left some of his men there, went and got help and came back, right? It was the, It's the ultimate um, embodiment of the, the human spirit, its ability to survive and to endure and um, and so a, a fascinating study, but it's one of the last shipwrecks to be found in one of the harshest regions of the world, um, the, the environment, and they discovered this uh, boat 160 year, 106 years after it uh, went down, 10,000 feet below surface. Um, they go down, and with these, you know, cameras and uh, the technology they have, able to discover um, this shipwreck. Endurance, One of the things that I find in life, don't you, is that as we age, we leak influence, we leak um, longevity. Any of us can impact our world for a few years, but how do we keep doing that? And even beyond our lifetime, it takes more than annuities and gifting monies, as we see even in our community of folks who will buy or build a building uh, and then put their name on it and try it. And again, not doubting the motives of those people, but often we try to find human contrivances to sustain our influence when God offers a better way. In fact, God is eternal. So if God is ever enduring, then us being aligned with him uh, indicates that we can have an enduring testimony. If you're jotting down notes, you may want to write this down. The word Abel. do you know what the word, the name Abel means? The name Abel means breath. That's interesting to me. So you have a man whose name means breath, not breaths, not even plural, just breath. That's how quick his life was snuffed out. And yet, listen to me, we're still studying about him this morning. The enduring testimony. Men, ladies, young people, don't you want to make a difference that lasts, that has some longevity to it? Uh, It can if we'll follow the Lord and walk with him as we see Abel uh, giving to us. All right, a couple things about that. Number one, be one who lives. How do we have an enduring testimony? Be one who lives for divine affirmation. Be one who lives for divine affirmation. Nothing will sabotage the significance of your life more than living for man's praise. People, including you and me, we are fickle creatures, aren't we? Um, It was amazing to me the last couple of years, all that we've navigated with COVID especially. Some of you had a position on COVID, and then six months later, you change your position, okay? And and, and we kind of now and then, tongue in cheek, we can joke about that now. It was amazing to watch people navigating that or other things. We can list all kinds of things. Our opinions and our moods, everything shifts. And if we're living only for man's praise, uh, we will not live a life of significance. Be one who lives for divine affirmation. I think Abel cared what God thought over what anybody else thought. He lived for the praise of God. He lived for the smile of God. Is that true of you this morning? All right, notice two things about this affirmation. Look back at verse 4. Notice it says, by which he obtained uh, witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. God Testifying. Number one, notice that he receives scriptural affirmation. Scriptural affirmation. Abel's name is in the Bible, and God affirms him. Wouldn't that be neat to have our names in there? Hey, he wasn't perfect, but your name or mine, they walked with God, and they, they did, by and large, what I required of them. And so we see God, through his word, testifying of Abel. Now, we don't know the exact date of the book of Hebrews that we're reading from in Hebrews 11 when it was written, but probably it was written before A.D. 70 when the temple was destroyed. I think in some way you would see a reference to the temple being destroyed where it's presenting the new covenant and priesthood of Jesus Christ in comparison to the old. So I think most scholars would say that Hebrews dates back to pre-A.D. 70 when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. Um, and then Abel likely would have lived uh, somewhere uh, around 4,000 BC. So you have in Hebrews 11, someone testifying 4,000 years later what Abel did that had to have felt a bit insignificant uh, in the moment. God testifying of this man's faithfulness. And here we are now what? 2,000 years fast forward. 6,000 years later, We're still talking about this man and his faithfulness and his sacrifice. God affirmed Abel. So if we're reading about it still today, 6,000 years removed, then we see here that God's affirmation is what we should strive for. The most enduring apologetic of why we live the way we live should be the eternal word of God. Do you have a Bible reason for why you're living the way you're living? The decisions you're making, the culture in your home, the, the job that you hold down, the season of retirement that you're in, whatever the specific things are, is your life, the apologetic or the affirmation from which you get for your way of life, is it God's Word? First Peter 1, verse 23, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. All flesh is as grass, all the glory of man is the flower of grass, the grass withereth, the flower there falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. First John 2, 17, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God, what? Abideth forever. Is this the reason for your existence? Is this what drives you, and directs you, and fuels you, and undergirds you when you're discouraged? When you're more to this book, there will be an enduring testimony. There will be a longevity uh, to your influence uh, for the Lord. Let God give you affirmation through his word. What a glorious gift Abel receives. Notice secondly, though, he says this. Not only did he obtain witness uh, that he was righteous, God testifying, notice, of his gifts, of his gifts. You notice also not only that the scriptural affirmation, number two, the character affirmation, the character affirmation. We read the verse already, but in verse 4, it says that God had respect unto not only Abel's gift, but unto Abel. Not only did he have disrespect for Cain's gift, but also for Cain himself. The character of Abel and Cain mattered. Not just what they were offering, but who was offering it unto the Lord. And so God here affirms not just the gift itself, but the character of the giver. Who else can really say what's on our heart and what our character is other than God? You, you don't know me today, my character ultimately. I don't know your character, what really drives you, but God does. And amazing when God confirms us, when God affirms us. What's better than that? What's more significant than that? And so may we allow God to be the one that drives us and defines us, but also the one who provides the affirmation. He affirms through His Word, He also affirms. Our character. Um, I see this in you, and probably you see this in me. Sometimes, as we would say, we worry too much about the press clippings, what other people are saying and thinking about us, that we're not focused on our walk with the Lord. One of the things that's been freeing to me in recent years, to be honest with you, is just following the Lord's leading. It frees me. Uh, We were joking today, Jerry was joking about roast pastor, how easy it is to have roast pastor. He was saying for other people, not for him today. But it's funny how, you know, we can all worry, you know, roast whatever you're in charge of. Uh, Have fun with that as well. But when we're free from that and when we're, we're following the Lord, it's amazing the focus we can have and the walk that we can have with Him and for Him for His glory. My legacy depends not upon what you think of me. My legacy depends upon when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ and either I hear, well done, or I don't. And the same, gently put, also is true of you. Lose the opinions, lose the perspective of others unless it's a helpful, constructive thing and let God and his leadership be what guides you forward. That's what those who live in an epic way focus on. If you would, go to verse 2 in Hebrews 11 there as we're kind of just unpacking these first verses of foundation to the rest of the chapter. Notice it says, for by it the elders obtained a good report. By faith, we receive a good report from God himself. Faith in his word, faith that moves us to to align with him and obey him and trust him, living for divine affirmation. I want a good report someday. And to have that good report and to have that enduring testimony, I must follow the example of Abel. All right, secondly, number two, let's talk for just a minute about a second aspect of this living for, enduring influence. Notice in verse number four, it says the last phrase, and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. Number two, be one who lives for timeless influence. So be one who lives for divine affirmation. Number two, be one who lives for timeless influence. Um, does it scare you how, as you're aging, you're losing certain capacities or whatever that you used to have, um, and maybe don't even realize that you're losing that capacity? Maybe that's true of you. I have learned some of it. I have some of it. I have control over a lot of it. I don't. What are we gonna do? Let's just laugh, I guess. Let's laugh about it. Okay. Um, the other day, someone said this. At my age, I'm really good at multitasking. I can listen, ignore, and forget. All at once, I can do all three of those things all at once. Listen, ignore, and forget all at the same time. Um, yeah, I knew that would that would get an amen or two. Um, can I just tell you, if we live only for this life, our our significance will tend to fall off as we age. And here's my encouragement to you, some of you, just this thought today, because I think some of you are settling, or coasting, or just kind of checking out physically, emotionally, spiritually. We've talked about that recently. Here would be my question to you. Could the moment that ultimately is going to have the greatest impact in in your life and in eternity, the moment or decision you're going to make that's going to have the most long-term impact is still ahead of you? Like, I think some of us are has-beens. Some of us were used-to-bees. And I just want to challenge us today, if we are still here, there's something for us to do and to be. And, and God, if he, listen, if he can take nothing and make something, as is referenced in verse 3, he can take you with all of your limitations and do something profoundly significant forever if you'll give him that room today and tomorrow and whatever days that you have left. And so don't allow it to be, I'm just a used to be or a has been Uh, God still has something for you. And and so we must be faithful to live for what is timeless influence. One other thought on that, and then we'll look at the text as we finish. I think some of us, we get bogged down in things that are not timeless. We get stuck in a certain traditional orientation. We get stuck on some specific issue that I'm telling you a hundred years from now are not going to (laughs) matter, And, and people are tuning us out. And if they haven't yet, one day soon they will. Because what you're leading in and leading toward doesn't matter. Uh, and so our timeless influence needs to be shaped by timeless priorities. Don't lose your influence by focusing on that which is temporal at best. Temporal priorities cause every one of us to leak influence. It's why your kids don't listen to you anymore, maybe. It's why your neighbor has just tuned you out because you're stuck on temporal things instead of things that are timeless. So be one who lives for timeless influence. All right, two things under this. Number one, influence. Notice that's hated. To live for that which is timeless will often lead our influence to be hated. Some of us wish for less influence because our influence causes others to react in a negative way. But that influence that is leading toward eternity will often be hated. And so we see he being dead. Abel suffered greatly for his faithfulness. Go back to Genesis 4, and let's just briefly read what happened to Abel as he lived for that which was timeless influence. Verse 5, influence that is hated. So to live an epic life doesn't, doesn't mean the throngs will come and everyone will love us. Often it actually leads in the opposite direction. Genesis 4, verse 5, but unto Canaan's offering he had not respect, Cain was very wroth, his countenance fell. Verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, thou shalt, shalt thou not be accepted. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. None to thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Verse 8, Cain talked with Abel, his brother. Cain to pass as they were in the field. Probably Cain doing his plowing, or whatever the case may be, and Abel with his sheep. That Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And so Cain here reacts in anger. He lashes out. What's more annoying than a good example, right? Abel's doing what he should do. And so Cain, instead of dealing with the sin that is at the door, as God says to him here, he instead snuffs out the life uh, of his brother. May I say to you today, Abel was killed by Cain because, listen to me, law hates grace. Self-effort, uh, hates those who rest in God and trust God instead of trying to earn his favor. The self-righteous man hates the truth. He cannot save himself, and so the only thing left to do is to lash out at those who are trusting in that same love and mercy. Christ in John 15 says, If the world hate you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of this world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. And what I see is a lot of shock and being thrown by the very thing God predicted would happen if we follow him. We will be persecuted. We will be mocked. We will be marginalized. And to live an epic life means to be prepared for and not thrown by that which God has warned us of. By the way, no matter how much we suffer in this life for Christ, Someday it will be, as the psalm says, worth it all, won't it? Um, I heard an author the other day said this, very comforting to my heart, it will not take long for God to make up to you in the next world for all that you have suffered in this one. God will more than make it up. And so may we be willing to identify with Christ even when it is a a struggle and even when it is misunderstood and be willing to have influence that is at times hated. And then the end of verse number four in Hebrews says, Yet speaketh. He being dead, yet speaketh. Last point today, our influence that is verbal. So it's hated, but number two, it is verbal. In verse nine, the Lord said, Let's go on here quickly. The Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? He said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth. Notice this, crieth unto me from the ground. And so we see this testimony, this witness of Abel's life that outlived him. Um, One of the interesting things, I was in North Carolina earlier this week and uh, flew down and everybody was doing their thing as we've been doing the last few years with masks. And then we got emancipated. I was able to fly home with or without a mask, that was up to me. And so a few less coffee cups were ordered um, or drinks that I could use to navigate that. Um, and I've logged a few air miles, to say the least, with a mask on it. Just, it was interesting uh, how that shifted. In fact, I got off the plane and within an hour saw that and then on the way back was able to uh, participate in that or not participate in that. Um, being free of something, being free of the mask. You do know what we deserve, don't you? We deserve hell. We deserve separation from God, and, and yet God comes and gives us grace, and then he's our defender. He's the one who comes and delivers us even from ourselves. It's interesting to me that God here is the one speaking on behalf of Abel, not Abel. If I would say to you, quote all of the lines in this biblical drama of Abel, you do know he has a non-speaking part. Abel doesn't say a word. He's silent. God speaks on his behalf. Cain talks a lot. In fact, he talks directly to God and defies him. Man, what a blatant egomaniac. Yet we often resist his voice as well. God is speaking on behalf of Abel. And so we see this influence that is verbal. God is the one affirming the man who had followed him faithfully. Wow, what an impact. Uh, What a testimony. And so those who impact the world the most align with God. Trust Him to follow through on affirming them and validating them. A friend of mine said this, live for the things that outlive you. Are you living for things that outlive you? Is that your mission? Is that your purpose? Live for things that will outlive you. All right, lastly, go back to Hebrews and let's go to chapter 12 for just a moment. Verse 24, and let's land here today. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24. Hebrews 12, and verse 24, as you're turning there, uh, Miss Katie posted this picture the other day of some artwork that Titus did for his sister, so for Kara. And uh, this is, yeah, he's gifted, isn't he? He's a, 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 a flourishing uh, artist that we have in our midst. But this is a picture given to Kara. This speaks to her heart because this is her favorite place to eat, Nate, or at least favorite pizza place, the highbrow, because they have Gucci bags, so they have to go to Little Caesars for pizza. Um <laughs> But uh, we may need to reevaluate his salary, but anyway, uh, Little Caesars, this is her favorite place to eat pizza, and Titus for his sister, I'm sure they always hug and you know just love each other, but he made that for his sister, her favorite place. Um, brother, can I say to you today as we look at Hebrews 12, there's another brother in this picture, and we would be remiss if we didn't mention him briefly. Look if you will in Hebrews 12 at verse 24. And this would be the only other mention of the name Abel found in Scripture. It says this, and I think even what's included in Hebrews 11, here's the reason for it now further developed. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, I love this, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. There is a better brother than just Abel. And that better brother is Jesus himself. Yeah, the blood of Abel from the ground speaketh, but so much more speaketh the blood of Jesus Christ, right? Um, I forget the words of the line, but Josh was in here a minute ago, but the um, the idea of the blood meeting the dust from which God created us, the, the blood of Jesus Christ and all that that means for us. And so this better brother, God sent his own son, to offer the ultimately acceptable sacrifice for us. And so the Lord Jesus is his brother's keeper, isn't he? Cain wanted to duck on that responsibility. Jesus did not. He became sin for us. Christ's blood speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood alludes to the covering temporarily of the Old Testament system. Christ's blood says forgiven forever. Abel's blood cries for vengeance. Christ's blood cries for mercy, pardon, and peace. So here's the question today as we finish. Would you let God make your life matter by giving to you the ability to offer to God a more excellent or an excelling sacrifice? And number two, as you do so, to have an enduring testimony that nothing else can secure for you. God offers that to us. And as we follow through on that, we live a life of epic proportions. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today.